As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter 1. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy-to-read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Ask NT Write Anything podcast. Well, hello and welcome back. I'm Justin Briley, Premier's Theology and Apologetics Editor, and today's show brought to you as ever by Premier SBCK and NT Write Online. Got some exciting news to share about our upcoming unbelievable conference with NT Write. So listen out for that shortly and how you can attend wherever you are in the world. Uh, Before that, though, today's episode addresses the issue of leaders who make moral failures. And today's show was actually recorded shortly before the full report on the Ravi Zacharias scandal was released, uh, detailing a litany of sexual and spiritual abuse against women by the late apologist. Now, if you'd like to listen to an in-depth response uh, featuring myself and Ruth Jackson speaking to trauma specialist Diane Lamberg and evangelist Glenn Scrivener, then do go and check out our recent unbelievable podcast on the Ravi scandal. But for now, uh, some very good news. Uh, Unbelievable and Ask NT Write Anything is going global on Saturday the 15th of May for our online 2021 conference. The place to book your seat is unbelievable.live, but your seat will be wherever you are in the world. How to tell the greatest story ever told is our theme, looking at the story of Jesus that shaped the modern world and how we can tell it afresh to a new generation that has in some ways forgotten it. So this will be hosted by myself and my colleague Ruth Jackson and will of course feature Tom Wright, Tom Holland as well, the well-known historian, and brilliant speakers and apologists Claire Williams, Sean and Josh McDowell. And this isn't just another Zoom conference. Uh, There's going to be an interactive 3D resource hub as part of it and also a live edition of this Ask NT Write Anything show featuring your questions and a conversation with Tom Holland alongside that as well. So uh, we've got a range of ticket options. There's premium tickets with lots of bonus stuff thrown in. But for the first time, a pay what you want option because we don't want finance to stop anyone being able to attend. So that's Saturday the 15th of May and we've specially made the time hopefully accessible for folk who are living out in the US or North America. Uh, 2 p.m. to 8 p.m. UK time but that'll mean 9 a.m. Eastern time or if you're an early bird 6 a.m. Pacific time. Do go and book your place now at Unbelievable. Live. And of course, if you'd like more about this show, if you'd like to ask a question yourself and access our resources, do check out the show page at askntright.com. Well, today on the program, uh, we're looking at the issues around when church leaders fall and issues around leadership and authority in the church. Um, hard to believe but probably about a year ago Tom that we were talking about the sad case of Jean Vanier and uh, Mm. posthumous 
uh, revelations about him coming out, which tarnished his reputation and, and the very good work that Lash has done uh, over many years. But it feels like in the last year or so, uh, there have been multiple other stories coming through, um, probably the biggest of which has been uh, credible allegations around Ravi Zacharias and sexual impropriety, um, a, a very you know, a huge figure really in the world of Christian apologetics, especially Ravi and a, a large ministry. Um, again, these aren't people that you knew personally or um, uh, have a great deal to say about the specifics of these situations, but but people have been writing in with with questions on, on that. And uh, again, someone else you may not be familiar with the name of, but Carl Lentz um, uh, of Hillsong Church in New York, who was fired recently, um, often seen as a celebrity pastor uh pastor to some of the stars in the music business and so on um and joel in london says uh the response by the evangelical community has been largely supportive of carl lentz showing him much love and grace but also encouraging him with words like god can still use you god restores and that the gospel is bigger than the failings of man so where do you stand on church leaders and moral failings? Should they be allowed to return to ministry again after a time of repentance? Or do we need to hold our leaders to a higher standard and allow them to face the full consequences of their actions? What are the implications of allowing leaders to fall from the standards required by Paul and then subsequently pick up the mantle of leadership again? Um, and again, you, 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 I'm not expecting you to know the, the specifics of this Carl Lentz case, but essentially it was, again, um, sexual impropriety uh, that was at the root of, of him being dismissed from his church. Um, so, so, yeah, without, without naming particular cases, w- w- what's your feeling on the yeah. consequences for, for people in those positions, Tom? I, I, think it's, I think the first thing to say is to contextualise it, to say it's been made much more difficult because churches in the last generation or so have not actually been wise about how they've done discipline my own church has done very little discipline except in extremis where something totally shocking happens then we can uh, call on oh yeah in this situation we do thus and so and this person will never be in public formal accredited ministry again etc and i've had to do that uh, on one occasion particularly it was very unpleasant basically to say somebody who was ordained is now not only not ordained, but they must never be in a position of public trust again. They simply won't be able to do that. And there are some times when that which somebody has done is such, uh, brings such shame on the church um, that actually, for reputational reasons as much as anything else, um, it's just not going to work to have this person in public ministry. But it's more, of course, for the sake of the victims. And I know that many churches, um, the Roman Catholic Church always gets stick for this, but actually it's happened in many, many other situations and in non-church situations as well, where somebody has done something pretty bad and is quietly moved to the side and with a wrap over the knuckles, oh, well, please don't do it again. Um, just go and start over there. And then, of course, it does happen again. And then, then you get the second and order problem of the people who were in authority, whether bishops or other leaders, who allowed that to happen on their watch, and they are now being uh, criticised very fiercely. Case in point, and I don't mind naming him, he's a friend, uh, John Ortberg in California, had Mm -hmm. a family member who was working in his church, and it was the family member that was in trouble, but the accusation was that John hadn't actually dealt sufficiently rigorously or whatever, and so he was um, asked to leave his his appointment, not himself having done anything wrong, so far as we know. 
And it's like a disease. And so rather like we were saying in a different podcast about lockdown, faced with this horrible disease, some people are saying, no, 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 they, we, we must be rigorous. We must never come back into ministry, etc." And so I think it does depend on, uh, on, on what it is we're talking about, because particularly in matters of sexual behavior, um, sexual behavior and misbehavior is it, it goes very very deeply into the personality and somebody who is uh, accustomed to be shall we say um, a seducer of um, vulnerable people is simply not likely to get over that just because they've repented and the church has said uh, god gives you absolution so therefore they should not be put in, a, in that position it's like somebody who has come off <clears throat> alcohol um, after uh, being an alcoholic um, fine they can be brought back into the community they probably shouldn't be then given a job running a pub or, or mm. standing behind a bar um, it might work but it might well not and it might be pretty disastrous and awful and that's and, and, and likewise somebody who has been convicted of financial mismanagement um, maybe they can be rehabilitated, maybe they can be given a new position, but probably not as a church treasurer, um, because actually it might just eat away at them and they might think, oh, perhaps nobody will notice, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. So I think there is a wisdom there, um, and we, we, we have to err on the side particularly of protecting victims. And, and of course, people say, oh, poor man, yes, he's forgiven, he must know God's forgiveness. Well, excuse me, let's deal first with the victims. Let's make absolutely sure that the church is looking after those who have been deeply hurt, those who might be on the edge of being deeply hurt. And that's part of the thing that the perpetrator has to face, that they come second in this, uh, behind yeah. the care for the victims. I think that's probably all I yeah. can say on that right now. I mean, obviously, we, we hope and pray that in most church situations, there's a network of accountability um, in, in the Anglican church, that there are systems in place whereby things where, where there are issues that they get spotted and they get dealt with rather than being allowed to fester. I suppose my fear is that very often some of the people who have come into the limelight and have had these very large falls from grace have, have, if you like, been at the center of very large ministries and that are pre predominantly centered around them. And, and I suppose the fear is that people will turn a blind eye to perhaps questionable behavior yeah. when, if you like, everything is centered upon that person and that person well, is if you like at the and center of course, this is this is sadly the church imitating what goes on in the world if you think of the jimmy savile case or the harvey weinstein case actually after the fact lots and lots of people said oh well it was pretty obvious and why didn't you blow the whistle then well you sure. know and why didn't the bbc do something about it because sure people knew about Jimmy Savile, or some people did, and there were jokes in private eye about him years before anything mm. actually came officially to light. Um, so it isn't it isn't just the church. Um, it, you know, it's the army, it's law firms, it's 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 shop organisations. It happens all over the place, but in the church, it's particularly scandalous because the church is supposed to be modelling the new way of being human, which is the wise, creative, and deeply chaste way of being human. Mm.
And mm. the fact that the church has, has gone soft on chastity or seen it as, as, oh, well, it's one of those fussy old rules that we don't need to worry about too much. Well, gee, thanks to the 1960s and 1970s uh, supposedly moral revolution. That's what we're seeing the results of. Um, that the, uh, a generation down the track, people who thought, oh, well, we, we you know, I, I, I sort of believe in that, but it doesn't really matter quite as much. Um, and then people get badly hurt. You know, Paul Tillich was notorious, great theologian in, in America, come from Germany. Um, he, he was a, a repeat offender, you know, seducing people, etc., and others as well. And when somebody challenged Tillich about it, how can you as a Christian, as a preacher, do this? He said, well, I never preach about adultery. As though that, oh, well, that makes it all right, doesn't it? (laughs) No, it doesn't make it all right. Sorry, there is an integrity question here. And we all have to say, you know, God have mercy on me, a sinner. We are all vulnerable. But in this one, the church has some catching up to do. Um, Let's turn to the the issues of uh, what the, you know, Paul and the scriptures have to say on this in particular. Tyrone in Phoenix, Arizona says uh thank you for your voice and wisdom in the church at large today tom you truly are a gift uh, i'm a pastor in phoenix deeply want our church to disciple people well uh, my question centers around the church in ephesus it appears to me that paul had a significant discipleship and leadership training ministry there in ephesus and i think it can teach us a lot today in the church regarding those things as well as providing a model for us i'd love to hear your insight and all that paul did there in ephesus and what we could or should learn from it for the church today so so I suppose moving on from when leaders fall to how, how do we raise up good leaders, yeah. disciple Christians in the church? What, what advice do you think Tyrone has seen here in, in the example yeah, it, of Ephesus? I'm, I'm sorry that I can't actually ask Tyrone straight off which passages he's talking about, because Paul's ministry in Ephesus, which is mostly in Acts 19, um, is about God working unusual works of power through Paul's hand and some remarkable healings and exorcisms and so on. And then, of course, the great riot with the the, the uh, people chanting in the in the theatre. Great is uh, Ephesian Artemis, etc. And and then we get an insight into Paul's relationship with the uh, church leaders in Ephesus when he's on his way back from Corinth, back to the Middle East, and he stops off at Miletus. He doesn't actually want to go into Ephesus himself itself because he doesn't want to be delayed, and I suspect he doesn't want there to be another riot. Um, but he calls them to come to him, and Acts twenty has this long speech to the elders, and. It's not really about his discipleship and leadership training, except when he says in verse 28, watch out for yourselves and the whole flock in which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as guardians to feed the church of God, which he purchased with his very own blood. And then he warns, I know that after I'm gone, fierce wolves will come in and they won't spare the flock. And even from among yourselves, people will arise distorting the truth and drawing away disciples. So keep watch. So um, I don't think we get from that exactly a picture of what had gone on in the three years he was in Ephesus, because we know, of course, in Ephesus that there were wonderful times. Acts 19 is full of, you know, Paul is just going around the town doing stuff and everybody knows something amazing is happening, but also terrible times. In 2 Corinthians 1, he says, I want you to know that we dis- we suffered so much in Ephesus that we despaired of life itself. And I think he was in prison for a while, and I think he was in really, really bad shape. So I, I don't know what to draw from that about his discipleship and leadership training ministry, um, except that he was a model of what it's like to be uh, a, a teacher, an apostle, um, 
teaching other people what it means to follow Jesus, invoking the power of the Spirit to heal, to rebuke, to warn, etc. He was obviously doing that all the time, night and day, and he, he would go around from house to house warning people with tears that they needed to live this new way that he was modeling. So th that, that's what I think was going on. I'm not sure that that tells us anything out beyond. I, I, yes, I, I suppose I, I wondered whether Tyrone might be equally referring to Ephesians and so Paul's later letters to the, the church in Ephesus. Um, and obviously you do have passages there um, where he's, he's advising, um, you know, uh, that, uh, you know, Ephesians four, I suppose, um, where, where he's talking about how people should act and think yes. um uh, putting away falsehood, let us all speak the truth to our neighbours. Uh, yes. We're all members well, one of another. Yeah. Uh, be angry, but do not sin, and so on. I don't know if that might have been the. Yes, the I, I, I didn't hear that in what Tyrone said. Although, of course, I do think that Ephesians, what the letter we call Ephesians, I do think it's um, a, a circular written from prison sure. in Ephesus um, yes. to the churches in the region, and it call, it's called Ephesians because that's probably where copies turned up. Um, uh, and so, yes, Ephesians 4 and 5 is is really striking. I had a message the other day from um, somebody who's on a commission trying to advise the Anglican bishops as what the priorities are for the church in the next generation. And they sent it to me to say, what were my comments? And I looked at it and I wrote back and said, well, as far as I can see in the New Testament, the major imperatives coming out of, say, Paul in Ephesus are unity and holiness and the spiritual battles which will arise when you're trying to do unity and holiness. Ephesians 4 is all about many ministries, but unity, please. And the second half of Ephesians 4 and into Ephesians 5 is all about holiness and some very practical stuff. And those are the things which stand out. Unity is easy if you don't care about holiness because you just accept anyone, it doesn't matter. Holiness is comparatively easy if you don't care about unity because every time you decide you're going to be especially pure, you just split off from everybody else who isn't. Um, doing the two together is tough. And those, I think, are the priorities that Paul is emphasizing there. And my goodness, we need them right now. And I think both of them have been a bit discounted in the last few generations, and we need to put them back at the heart of who we are. Just as we finish this one, Tom, um, coming back to that original question about when church leaders fall, um, I mean, what, what would you say was Paul's specific advice in this area? What, what, what do you think he advised when it came to the appropriateness of people, A, being charged with this ministry, and B, what, what, are there any indications of what his suggestions were for those who who had it's, messed up? It's very difficult because um, in the in the pastoral passages in First Corinthians, for instance, where really bad things have happened in the church, we're not sure those are church leaders. In fact, they, they probably aren't. But in in First Corinthians five, where there's a case of incest. He says expulsion from the church is the only solution at this point. Doesn't say, well, some of us approve of incest and some of us don't, so let's not judge each other. He says, no, this is out of line. Uh, this person must leave. Um, and maybe that will result in them bring, being brought back. And in 2 Corinthians, we can see the possibility of that. The whole community has has rejected this person and has said this is out of line. And Paul says, okay, he's suffered enough. Now is the time for reconciliation. But reconciliation mustn't mean, oh, well, it was all right, really. It didn't matter because it did matter. 
Um, Miroslav Volf's book, Exclusion and Embrace, is so good on this. Um, but you see, there are other times, like in Antioch, when Paul confronts Peter, uh, uh, Galatians 2, and says, Peter, you are out of line. Here is how the gospel works, and you're going in a different direction. And then even Barnabas gets pulled away with that. And I suspect that that lies behind the moment, the very sad moment in Acts 15, when Barnabas wants to take John Mark with them on the next trip. And Paul says, absolutely not. He let us down last time. He's too much of a risk. And and Barnabas wants to take him. So they go their separate ways. And so we see the real issues there of who can you trust and how do you confront when something drastically wrong is happening, even if it's somebody quite senior in leadership, like Peter in Antioch? How can Paul say, you're wrong? Answer, Paul says, here's why, boom, 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 Galatians 2, um, uh, 11 to 21. Uh, and and we need to be aware of these moments. We in, We English aren't good at confrontation. We Anglicans are especially not good at confrontation. Um, but we need to be able to do it. Tom, thanks for being with me. We'll see you again next time. Thank you so much for listening today. Next time, we'll be looking at your questions on Christian practices like fasting and Sabbath and worship. And don't forget to check out our show partners too, Tom's UK publisher, SBCK, and NT Wright Online for Tom's video teaching courses. More about this show at askntwright.com. And do head over to another website, unbelievable.live, to register for our upcoming conference with Tom Wright. Uh, you can attend from wherever you are in the world and be part of that live edition of this very show on Saturday, the 15th of May. Again, that's unbelievable.live. For now, have a good week and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Ask NT Write Anything podcast. Let other people know about this show by rating and reviewing it in your podcast provider. For more podcasts from Premier, visit premier.org.uk slash podcasts.